Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out CF Capital. CF Capital is the premier boutique real estate investment firm in the Midwest and Southeast region of the United States. We are a national real estate investment firm with a purpose. We provide property investment and asset management solutions to help passive investors maximize returns on high value multifamily communities. But our investments go far beyond acquisitions. We invest in people. We are in the business of elevating communities and raising the bar for everyone within our ecosystem. CF Capital is a real estate investment firm focused on the acquisition and operation of multifamily assets. We confidently deliver tax advantage, stable cash flow, and capital appreciation with a margin of safety. By investing alongside our team, investors can preserve and grow their wealth without having to deal with tenants, termites, or toilets. Investors come and stay for the outsized returns we create in our deals while appreciating the ancillary opportunity to make a bigger impact that only CF Capital can provide. If you're an investor and want to invest with us, here's how. Learn more about CF Capital at cfcapllc.com or by simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. We will see you on the inside of this powerful community. So let's elevate communities together. I don't need a bazillion dollars a year to like live on, right? For us, it's like if we could get to the point where we're making two and a half million a year of gross income, I, I couldn't care less donating a million of it. Like who cares, right? You'd still have a million and a half. That number sounds crazy to people that haven't really thought about it, but it's really not even that much money either like in the world of things. That's kind of one of our, our waypoints that we were wanting to hit and kind of blow through. And then the hundred grand a year of passive, there's just so much need for funds and different things that it would be awesome. Like, I think a really, a great way to like take decision load off of a, off nonprofits is to provide them with annual recurring revenue. Why is that the most valuable revenue for a bank to underwrite a property on? Why is that why do they care about what your AAR is? Because it's like safe, right? And you don't have to decide, you don't have to figure out how am I going to make that chunk of money? And so that goal is more tied to developing some sort of endowment fund um, for Unbound and figuring out how to get that working. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be joined by Tyler Gobble today. You are going to learn what it means to live with purpose, what it means to go big, and what it means to tap into an endless reservoir of energy to live your dreams and to make a difference and to create a true legacy through real estate and through your expertise. I'm so excited about this episode today. You're gonna really walk away with tremendous inspiration and tremendous tactics to make a massive difference and to make your life and your business count. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and entrepreneur. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. I want to thank you so much for being here. I'm going to invite you to give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Of course, if you're watching today's podcast, you're going to see Tyler is in his active duty you know, his, his fatigues. And so we want to thank him for his service to our country and for defending our freedom and for all the amazing things that he is sharing with us today. And you're going to see that today is a really, really powerful discussion. So buckle up. And I want to introduce you to Tyler Gobble, who owns and operates with his wife, LTG Investments. LTG is founded on three core values. Community is foundational, work is the engine, and generosity is the purpose. And, you know, I think you're going to find that not only in addition to LTG, he also does data science as a service for businesses that want to turn their data into meaningful insights. And his typical client has upwards of $1 million in EBITDA and a tech stack that is not fully integrated. Most firms cannot afford a full data science team. And to be honest, most firms do not need one. So he bridges the gap between zero data literacy and a dedicated team helping executives find efficiencies in their business that have previously been hidden to the noise. So you want to check them out on Instagram at LTG underscore investments. 
And of course, we'll put links in the show notes as where you can find Tyler on his LinkedIn page as well. So without further ado, please enjoy this outstanding, insightful, and powerful discussion with Tyler Gobble. Tyler Gobble, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing good. Strong name, Tyler. So hey, I was got that going for us this morning. I was gonna tell you, man. I was gonna tell you. You know, you got to give a big shout out to your mom. She did a great job. That's right. And uh, you know, Tyler, it is. You know, it's actually really funny. We start there because growing up, I don't know how, how it was for you, but there was every single class I was in growing up. There was at least one other Tyler. So I was always Tyler C. Were you always Tyler G? People call me Gobes, Gobel. I was a last name guy. So I grew up playing sports and. Uh, I started playing little league football when I was seven. And then I don't know if you play little league football or anything like that, but they would always tape your name, your last name on your forehead. <laughs> and so like all of my best friends were the kids I played sports with. And so, um, Goebel's name that really just kind of stuck. And that's what most of the people have known me for a long time. Call me Gobes, call me Goebel. So I love it. Yeah. I played basketball growing up and my coach actually called me chess. And so that was my nickname at that time. I went to college and it was like, wait a minute, is it Chesser? Is it Chester? And I got to tell you, there were times where people said, is it Cheeser? And I'm like, all right, hold on. Let's, let's, let's back it up. Ultimately, my nickname in college became Cheese as a, as a result. And so, uh, you know, we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but there you go. So there's, uh, there's the backstory on both of our names. So it's, it's great, to, uh, great to be with you today. Why don't you talk a little bit more about your upbringing and your backstory? Yeah, so... Um... We were talking a little bit off mic um, before this, but I grew up in uh, Plymouth, Michigan. And like I said, I played sports my whole life. And that's kind of like what I always had a passion for. And when I was seven, for some reason, I didn't want to play college. I didn't want to play like pro football. Like that wasn't it. I wanted to play college football, which is really weird. You would think like a kid would be like, I want to play in the pros. But for me, it was I wanted to play college ball. So for some reason and so i love that by the way just real quick because it's about to be college football season and i don't know i'm kind of a college football fan more than nfl personally i know that's not a very popular opinion so i'm just throwing that out there no 100 um the purest form of football is little league like seven-year-olds and it just gets diluted as you go further north but um college football i think still has some redeeming qualities so i love that Um, very much a business though um i guess we can talk about that a little bit later but um the so growing up playing sports, I'd always just want to play college ball. And so once I got to senior year of high school, um, ended up getting offered by the Naval Academy. And so if you guys are watching this thing on video, like I'm wearing camouflage utilities right now, like I'm in the Marine Corps, um, still active duty, but went to the Naval Academy, played football there. And that was always my passion in life was sports and competing and um, getting to do that at the, the highest level my talent can kind of take me to. And the way I, I kind of describe myself as a, as an athlete was like, I had a whole lot of want to, but not really a lot of can do. And so I was never like the freak athlete that was like, just, man, he just made this play. That was incredible. It was more like, okay, he somehow knew that that play was going to happen and got his slow, short, underweight body in play in the spot that uh, actually was like beneficial for the team. Right. And so I was like a film studier. I was very much like a technique person. Um, and really tried to squeeze as much talent out of my body as I could. And Navy was my ceiling. Um, that was like the highest level of ball I could play. We played, I think we played Notre Dame. We were just talking about college football coming up. Um, we played Notre Dame. It's either next weekend. I'm not sure when this airs. It might be long gone. Hopefully we're, people are like, oh yeah, Navy beat Notre Dame in Ireland. But um, <laughs> so all that, all that to say is, is football was really my passion. And when that was over for me, because it, it ends for everybody, whether you play in the pros, whether you um, finish your college years, whether you get hurt and you don't finish your college years, um, at some point it all ends. And when you're a kid at seven and your whole life's purpose has been, I want to play college ball somewhere, and that ends, it's pretty like, where do you find your identity? Where do you find things that still get you out of bed in the morning when you're no longer going to, to training camp in August to get ready for a football season. It's like, okay, there's no more seasons left. Like it's over. Like you can watch, you can do that kind of thing. And for me, the Marine Corps was a really great transition from like that team sport. And so transitioned into the Marine Corps after the Naval Academy commissioned as a second Lieutenant and uh, was an infantry officer for four years. And so in the infantry get a platoon of about 50 or so guys and, 
you're running around blowing stuff, blowing stuff up, shooting machine guns, having a good time. Um, it's like the closest thing you can get to a football locker room, I think, in the military is, is the infantry. And so that's what I kind of gravitated towards. And throughout my time in the infantry, I had never done any like, I'd always been like entrepreneurial minded. Like I've loved like self-improvement, um, leadership and that kind of stuff. And I loved real estate, um, but I didn't ever have the bandwidth to do anything professionally with real estate at that point in time. So, I mean, four years in the infantry, that's like you're, you're working 12 hour, 14, 16 hour days very, very regularly. You're going to the woods, completely disconnected from the world very regularly. Um, and so for me, it was one of those things where the way I got into it was just buying a house and renting it out to my buddies, right? Like I knew it was like made sense, have the VA loan, let's do a zero down VA loan, I'll rent it out to my buddies and just kind of put your foot in the water and see what it feels like to actually do a transaction. And um, 2018, I met my wife. And in 2019, we got married. And she didn't want to live in a frat house with like five other guys. And so <laughs> we bought, um, I don't know, do you remember when Hurricane Florence came through East Coast? Mm -hmm. Yep. It was like back in like 2017, 2018. But we actually picked up a house that was just smoked by that hurricane down in North Carolina where I was stationed. And I mean, this house had nothing. It was a shell, um, had no insulation, had no ceilings, had no plumbing, had no electrical. Um, and so this was a good first, first purchase, right. To go ahead and buy a house that has none of that stuff. I'm sure your wife loved that. She's like, no, fr oh, no yeah. frat house, but I'll take a house with no plumbing and you know, all this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I won't bore you with it, but there's a good, no plumbing story about, um, that house when we are renovating it. But, Oof. but anyways, so, um, I basically did all the trades on that house. So I figured out how to like, how do you do like rudimentary plumbing, like rough end type stuff? How do you do um, rough end electrical? How do you lay floors? How do you put in cabinets? How do you do all the, all the different trades and know like basically how to fact check somebody on the trades. I think the only thing I didn't do in that house was the ceiling drywall. Cause you need one of those crazy cranks to be able to put the sheets in there. But um, so that was our first house and she actually did love it because she didn't live a second in it. Um, we, I got it finished like a week before we got married. Wow. And so um, it was like, I had a timeline, I had to get it done. Um, so I was working, working in the Marine Corps job, coming home, putting in six or seven hours of manual labor, sleeping for like five or six, and then going back to work and just did that for like a month and a half, two months straight. Um, so that was kind of our first entry into the real estate it was like, okay, I understand now, like, what does it mean when you say we need to do a new roof? Or what does it mean when you say we need new electrical? What, is, what are those kinds of mechanics? And that was kind of the extent of it, right? So we got married, um, put that house back together. And then I got orders out to Naval Postgraduate School out in Monterey, California. And so the way the Marine Corps works for your listeners that aren't military or never really thought about the military, you basically do your first four years. And that's like revving your engine to 10,000 RPMs. Like you're going, going, going. Your work-life schedule is super busy. But then the Marine Corps says, okay, we're going to give you another set of orders. This is going to be a lot slower pace of life. We're going to let you kind of decompress, um, get your head back in your head, and um, kind of relax and kind of reflect a little bit on your first four years. And for me, they sent me to go get a master's degree. And um, it's, it's really funny because I'm like a jock, right? Like played football, played linebacker, like used to bang my heads against walls, was a grunt. <laughs> um, and then they sent me to get a data science master's degree. And so I got my master's in operations research. And what that is, is basically it's like statistical machine learning is the focus, but it's a lot of really heavy linear algebra, a lot of really heavy data analytics. Um, and essentially it's like, how do you, how do you get raw data? How do you transform it? And how do you put it into a position where people can make decisions on it? And so that's kind of the, the gist of what that degree is. But before we got out there, we wanted to buy a house in California. And so we sold both the houses we had in North Carolina. And this is where really the reason that I'm willing to work all these hours and have a, have a real estate business while still being active duty is young guy just got married, wants to make sure that we're in a position where my wife and I are aligned on values. Um, I'm also Christian. So I have a background of, of donating to the church, um, like tithing for those that don't know is 10% of your income is supposed to go to something that's a, a worthy cause. And when we sold the two houses in North Carolina, I had bought, 
we had a large chunk of money that came in that we're like, okay, what do we do with this? Is this something that it's very different than a normal W2 paycheck where you can just set up recurring donations that just kind of comes out of your paycheck. You don't really have to think about it. But if you get like 60 grand just deposited in your account, like, what do you do with that money? Is that like, how are we as a family going to decide to be generous with that kind of stuff? And my wife's um, mother runs an anti-human trafficking nonprofit called Unbound Now. And I didn't know if she was like, Susan was running this thing out of her garage on a laptop, just like sending out MailChimp letters or like, who knows what she was doing. I had no idea whether this thing was legitimate or not. Um, fast forward, it's very legitimate. They've been doing it for like 11 years. They've, they did a ton of work with the Ukraine disaster. They're in um, multiple Southeastern Asian countries. They actually are just now standing up Louisiana's anti-trafficking um, work um, just because they, they did such a great job in Texas. And so this is like a very, very rigorous, very, very well-organized, phenomenal organization. Um, I had no idea at the time. I was like, okay, sure, babe. Like, that sounds great. We can donate to Unbound. That sounds fine. And we gave money to them. And my mother-in-law called me and she was like, Tyler, just so you understand, for us, for like $5,000, we're able to donate. We're able to essentially pay for the salary of somebody who works in a country like Mongolia, Indonesia, those, those like lower income countries. And that's about as much money as they need for an entire year. And they're able to do nothing but focus on anti-trafficking work in those countries. And so like a quick geography lesson for people, Mongolia is on the Northern edge of China. And that is like the gateway for people. Like, I don't know if you've, have you seen um, like Rogan's podcast with Yomi Park? Yes, I have. That is unbelievably powerful. I, yeah, that's a, that's a good call out and listeners should definitely check that out. If you want to, you know, have your eyes completely open to what's happening, North Korea and China, but go ahead, yeah. please. Yeah. So like North Koreans will end up in Mongolia, right? If they try to escape, but what happens when they get to Mongolia, people will snatch them up, sell them down through the, the trade routes into China. And so there's a ton of like, just knowing stuff about the world, especially being in the Marine Corps and, and having a little bit more of a global picture when she told me that, I was like, oh, my gosh, like we like flipped this house and like really we just did it because we needed a place to live. And like I enjoyed doing it and it was fun finding a deal and doing all those different things kind of like as an amateur. But, man, you're telling me we did one house and we we're basically able to pay for somebody's salary for a year. It's like that's insane. And so I'm like a spreadsheet mind like that's my my brain. So I like start typing in my spreadsheet and I go okay, well, if we do another house this year, we probably could pay for another person's salary. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to do one house, you've got to find a contractor. You got to figure out how to get like access to capital to buy the house, whether it's your money or somebody else's money. You got to find a bank. You got to do all these different steps to build your team in order to do this. And that's for one house. It's like, why would we go through all this work to just flip one house? It's like, why don't we just try and do two? It's like, okay, well, if you're going to do two, you might as well do three. <laughs> and it's kind of like that book. If you give a mouse a cookie, it's going to ask for milk. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it was, it was born out of the passion of understanding that, man, if you just, if you decide to do something like this and you, you can get connected with an organization like unbound, your dollars go so far. And um, that's kind of what we did. So we launched back in late 2020 and to date we've been involved in about 30 different projects, 20 of which were flips that we did ourselves um, another 10 or so have been projects where my wife, she's actually finishing up her master's in interior architecture and design right now. And so she's, um, she's like the designer on demand. Basically, I almost never see our properties. Like we've done everything from a distance and um, I'll, I'll be basically be like the big red button guy be like, yes, we're going to buy it. And then we send my wife on a plane to go to that market and um, basically do the walkthrough after we've had somebody walk through before we put it under contract. But she does like the design walkthrough and um, comes up with a vision for that and manages the contractors and, and does the whole nine yards. And so that's kind of our, our origin story. And it's, it's since become a little bit more than just single family homes, but, but, um, but yeah, happy to kind of dig into wherever you, you want to go from there. I know it's kind of the fire hose. <laughs> so. There's a lot there. I mean, there's so many different things I, I could dig into, but you know, the thing that really strikes me to start is this passion and this purpose that you've really derived so much energy and intuitiveness from. 
and this drive that's come through, you know, you've, you've obviously been developed through your experience as a Marine in a, you know, in the Marine Corps and, you know, as a football player growing up and, you know, you describe this entrepreneurial sort of mindset that you already sort of was already kind of within you. But what really strikes me is that this passion for helping others and for being of service is driving your continued resourcefulness and ability to scale your business. So, you know, I guess, tell me a little bit about, you know, why human trafficking has become, you know, the forefront of, of what you're trying to do to make a difference in the world and, and why that really speaks to you so deeply. I mean, you know, you mentioned Yomi Park's uh, discussion with Joe Rogan. And, you know, I think if anybody listens to that, it would probably strike a big fire within their soul to say, man, we've got to we got to figure out a way to help humanity here, um, because, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize how big of an issue this really is and how, you know, how just absolutely, you know, how how atrocious it really is across the world and how how just you know, how many people are impacted by this. So maybe talk a little bit more about that, what you've learned and why this is such a passion of yours to continue to, to grow and, and, you know, scale your business as well. Yeah. I think, I think uniquely to like, as a Marine officer, you, you show up to your first unit and you're like 22 years old, you're not very old. <laughs> and you've got like 50 guys that are between the ages, usually of like 18 to like 25. Um, sometimes you've got like a staff sergeant who's your like right hand man. And he's like in his late twenties, early thirties. But those are kids, like those are young kids and they do dumb things and I love them. Like they're the best. Like they're my favorite, my favorite thing about the Marine Corps is, is a Lance Corporal, which is like a low ranking enlisted guy, just like my kind of people. Right. <laughs> and they're just so funny. They do, they do the funniest things, but they also are just like, they're so, they're so valuable. And like people I think are just so valuable. And the idea that across the world, like human beings aren't being treated as valuable as they are and they're just being basically used as commodities is just insane to me. You know, it's just like hard to imagine. Like we, I've got nephews, I've got um, little cousins. Right. And to think that they could be those types of people that are getting sold and that kind of thing. It's like, Oh, it's just, you can't, you can't stomach that. I think of that as a father. I mean, you know, we have 19 month old, twins and I look at them and I'm like, I just can't even imagine. And we're talking about, we have 8 billion people across this planet and every single human being has to your point value and they're so valuable and it's not to be used, but it's like, you know, we're meant to be here for a reason, for a purpose. And, you know, when you think about that, each individual has so much value and we're not, you know, and we're not cattle, we're not, you know, a natural resource. We're human beings with a soul. And, you know, if you have any faith, there's, you know, there's, there's an unlimited uh, and eternal nature here. So, so people being used as commodities obviously has stricken this drive for you, but do you know, I mean, you probably do, I mean, now with the the passion that you have, but tell us a little bit about the stats here and what is it that you're trying to make a dent in? Honestly, it's like, there's so many numbers out there and I'm a data scientist, right? Like I'm deep in numbers all the time time and so i'm always pretty wary of these different statistics because it's really hard to know um there's been a big push in like the vc private equity world of like diversity equity inclusion right and Mm -hmm. i have buddies who are on companies that their whole company is trying to pierce that veil of is this supply chain clean like how is this supply chain actually working like you hear about electrical vehicles mattering, but then you also hear about cobalt mines in China where people are just like basically back in ancient Egypt mining like the Israelites were, right? And so I don't really think about that scale. And I think it's kind of overwhelming to think about that scale. Um, And my mother-in-law says it best. It's like, we just need to save like one more person. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, but Mm -hmm. um, he's like, it's a story about an army. Like he was a conscientious, conscientious objector in world war two, but he still served as a medic. And so part of the refrain from that movie was him basically going, I just got to save one more person. Like, let me go, go get one more guy. It's like, okay. Took him back to the medic tent. It's like, okay, let me go get one more guy. And that's kind of the way I think about it, where it's like, we were just able to, one of our, one of our general contractors in Waco, Waco, Texas is where unbounds like headquarters, is they have a bunch of different offices all over the world 
but Waco is kind of home base. It's where it was founded. And it's also where we flipped, flipped the, the 20 or so houses. But one of those houses, one of our general contractors who also does a lot of investing, um, my wife is actually, she designed his like forever home in Missouri, like 5,000 square foot, beautiful ranch in Missouri. Um, she's flying out there next weekend to go do the final walkthrough. But he found a house and he pushed it to us like, hey, do you guys want to flip this house? And we we're like, ah, it doesn't really fit into our, our buy box. Um, we'll, we'll probably pass on doing this house. But he ended up buying it. And what he ended up doing was he donated that house to Unbound as a home for girls who were trafficked in the foster care system. And so what was really, really cool was that house from the studs, my wife got to design it. We got to help figure some stuff out with, with finances, but he did the lion's share of all the donations. We got like trades people to come in and do work, but that house houses up to six girls who were trafficked in the foster care system that were minors. And it's like a beautiful, like HGTV worthy house, right? It's like gorgeous. And that can house six people, but there's millions of people that are affected by this. But to those six people that get to live in that house, that makes all the difference in the world, right? And so it's it's a huge, hairy problem. And I think really the only way to solve it is by making boatloads of money and doing it from like a capitalist perspective. And um, that's where, again, talking about the, the dignity of people, I think a lot of dignity of people comes from work. It comes from meaningful employment. And that's one of the things that we're passionate about is building a business to where we're able to employ people, we're able to connect people to jobs that it's meaningful work. Because a lot of times, like, think about it, you're a father, like, what would you do to feed your family, right? Anything. That's the reality. That's the reality people are faced with sometimes. And the at-risk population is people who are don't have jobs, like, are just trying to find their next meal. And when you can eliminate that stressor and you can provide meaningful employment for folks, that's another um, a way to make a dent with without donating money. Cause I don't know. Have you, have you ever raised money for charity? I have. Yeah. It's like impossible. Well, and it's, it's, like it's just so hard. You create tremendous, you know, momentum through a lot of effort, but then once that flywheel stops, it's like, you got to start from square one. So it's, yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. And one thing I, I, on that note that, you know, I, I understand about your goals. And by the way, I'm glad that you answered it that way. And, and I'm glad that you thought about it that way, because it makes it makes this so much more accessible to make a dent and make a difference, you know, because instead of saying, all right, well, what are the what's the big, you know, the huge issue here? And how can we totally transform this world? It's like impact one person. And it makes me think of like, what we donate to and what we give to is an organization called Centers for Courageous Kids. And it's kids who have chronic illnesses, and you know, in some cases, terminal illnesses. And in many aspects, what they're doing is they're allowing kids to just be kids, you know, they're dealing with some yep. really serious stuff, and they go to a summer camp, and they're surrounded by peers. And, you know, it's just a chance for them to be a kid, you know, because I think a lot of us take for granted, the opportunity that we had to be a kid, you know, throughout our childhood, and just how impactful that is, but also be surrounded with other people who are going through challenges, but also receive tremendous medical care. And so for us, it's like our one way of kind of making a little bit of a difference. And there's also a ripple effect. You know, I really believe that yep. when you make one difference in that person, now they have the opportunity to go out and, you know, prosper themselves. And I couldn't agree more that I think that the solution to many of the world's problems is prosperity. And, you know, that's why I think it's, yep. it's important for us to face our fears to invest in ourselves, to embrace discomfort and to, you know, solve challenging problems and to continue yep. to propel, continue to evolve, continue to elevate our mindset, elevate the way that we're sharing that with others as well. But tell me a little bit about the goal of donating a million dollars a year from active real estate investing and a hundred thousand dollars in passive income donated annually. You know, tell me about that goal and then let's talk about the methods for doing so and how you're reverse engineering that into reality. Yeah. So the million dollars of active stuff that for us, it's like, you could just pick out, pick out flips. Um, you could pick out like acquisition fees for purchasing commercial properties. You could pick out consulting fees for different real estate companies that we were working with. Um, but that is the stuff that we're trading our time for money for, if that makes sense. And mm -hmm. so that's where over, over time horizon, um, pretty much like I don't need a bazillion dollars a year to like live on. Right. Like, so for us, it's like, if we could get to the point where we're making 
two million a year, two and a half million a year of that like gross income, I, I couldn't care less donating a million of it. Like who cares, right? You'd still have a million and a half. Um, <laughs> and so it's like, whatever, like that's, that's not a big deal. And I know with you doing podcasts and whatnot, you probably talked to lots of folks that that number sounds crazy to people that haven't really thought about it, but um, it's really not even that much money either, like in the world of things. And so that's kind of one of our, our waypoints that we were wanting to hit and kind of blow through. And then the hundred grand a year of passive, what we've seen is there's just so much need for, for funds and different things that it would be awesome. And like, I think a really a great way to like take, decision load off of a uh, off nonprofits is to provide them with annual recurring revenue. It's like, why is that the most valuable revenue for a bank to underwrite a property on? Why is it, why do they care about what your AAR is? Because it's like safe, right? And you don't have to decide, you don't have to figure out how am I going to make that chunk of money? And so that goal is more tied to developing some sort of endowment fund um, for unbound and figuring out how to get that working, which there's some really, really cool tax strategies and different things that you can do to where you could still use that endowment and fund for-profit events with that. And then get all those, get all those different income streams tax-free and pass through to them to where they're able to not have to administratively deal with going out and raising more money from donors. They can, they can go and use all that money to hire that next worker or, to do more aftercare or to open up another unbound safe house. Right. And so that's kind of the, the thought process there, but we had yeah, a, um, we had an organization reach out to us. They're called go ministries. It's a Christian organization. And they reached out to our company CF capital because they wanted to make an investment in one of our opportunities mm -hmm. and generate passive income through that. And I thought it was yep. genius because, you know, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, how difficult it can be to raise money for charities. You know, they do things yep. like, uh, you know, their galas and, you know, all these different fundraisers and silent auctions, and they still do that. But I thought it was genius that they're exploring this opportunity to, you know, make an investment that can create not only a compound appreciation and compound growth, but also, yep. you know, reoccurring revenue. And I thought that was like, it was genius. So is that kind of your thought as well in terms of the passive side of things for, for this cause? Yeah. And it's one of those, were they investing via donor advised fund or anything like that? I believe so, but I'm not a hundred percent certain they have not, they have not yet made their investment, but it's uh, it's on the horizon. Well, get on board folks. What's going I, on? We wait that's on. right. If you're listening, you know who you are. <laughs> yeah. Elevate nation. You know, you can't manage what you don't measure. So when it comes to marketing and sales, how can you be sure your decisions are the right ones? I've got the answer for you, Sharp Wilkinson. Sharp Wilkinson is a unique agency that specializes in developing data-driven marketing and sales strategies for clients. I've been working with Sharp Wilkinson for a while now, and I can personally attest to the way that they immerse themselves in my organization and maintain a hyper-responsive orientation. Best of all, they use data to inform their strategies and drive real tangible growth. And every company needs continuing growth, right? If you think your organization could benefit from data-driven marketing and sales, growth starts at Sharp Wilkinson. Visit sharpwilkinson.com to take the first step on your journey. Tell them Tyler sent you. Yeah, that's kind of the, the thought process. And the beautiful thing about doing what we're doing, and you're, I'm sure you're more than aware of this, but you just get connected with such good operators by being in the space and intentionally networking that the deal flow for stuff, something like that, the risk tolerances are way different for investing nonprofit money than investing for-profit dollars. But um, getting to be basically a passive investor in these different um, different syndications, different kind of limited partner roles, I think is a, is a good goal. And I think it's one of those, again, like talking about raising money for charity, like you can go out and raise a million dollars. It's not really that difficult. Like we've had people wire us like quarter million, million dollars for flipping houses and they're just going to get their 10% return. But when it comes to like raising 50 grand to donate or something like that, it's like pulling teeth and we end up just donating most of the money ourselves. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's where the light bulb came on for us. It's like, you know what, why don't we just focus on just making a ton of money and structuring ourselves in a way to where we just control where those funds go. And um, thankfully a lot of our investors have been folks who also are charity minded. That's kind of the people that we want to work with are people who already donate to some sort of cause. And so for us, by 
by making money in our in our investments and then making money for our investors, we have a pretty good idea that at least 10% of their money is going to go somewhere that makes sense. And then we donate whatever we want to donate out of ours, but minimum of 10%. And so it's a way to basically take the compound interest effect of, of generosity and kind of multiply that out when you're, when you're able to make for-profit dollars that you know that that person's going to use them in a good way. I don't know what it is, but like recently there's been a lot of people who have, you know, maybe just people, I feel like just dying at random times and, you know, people, you know, leaving this earth too early for whatever reason. And I feel like what you're describing is like, you know, what you're doing, man, is such a legacy driven sort of set of actions. And, you know, the way that you're operating, it's like, there's so much more purpose behind what you're doing than just like, Hey, I'm just trying to make as much money as possible so I can be as wealthy as possible. I mean, that's going to be a byproduct of what you're doing. That is a byproduct of what you're doing, but it just feels like such a more, you know, robust and exciting and impactful way to live. And it just feels like the reservoir of energy that you probably gain from this is just, it's absolutely endless. Like I, I just sense from you, like the minute that we started talking this morning, it's like you have a purpose for every single day. And I just think that's really, really cool. And, you know, I, I wanted to share that. First of all, that's an observation. But then secondly, it leads into this energy to say, all right, well, how am I going to continue to evolve to get there to this big, hairy, audacious goal? So how have you evolved from, you know, these 20, 30 original flips to what you're doing today to get to that outcome? Yeah. So flipping had always been a means to an end for our wife, my wife and I, um, she's super passionate about design and she's really, really talented. And so there's some stuff cooking that we can't really talk about publicly, but, um, there's some things going in that direction where we'll be able to hopefully showcase her designs a little bit more. And then, um, with the data science stuff and all that, I've started doing some consulting work. And so um, getting to do data science and kind of help build, build out some algorithms for some folks um, in some companies you may have heard of, but um, yeah, talk about just, that. I mean, what does that look like? Yeah. So we're, I don't know if you've like, if you're a bigger pockets guy or any of those kinds of companies, but recently, and it's another beautiful tie in for anti-trafficking work. Um, Brandon Turner, who was the host of bigger pockets. He's one of their original hosts recently branched off and started his own company called Better Life. And what Better Life is, is essentially it's a mastermind group focused on creating a better life, right? And what I love about Brandon is his mindset is very similar to kind of what I was talking about earlier, where it's like, if I make 2 million a year, like who cares if you give away a million of it? Like you still have a million dollars to yourself. Um, that's kind of his mindset for Better Life, where what it is, it's the mastermind group that is donating 100% of its profits to anti-human trafficking work. And so I'm working with some folks inside that group um, to do basically their back-end data science. And so implementing some machine learning, some AI type, type uh, mechanisms inside that group to really kind of help facilitate the different accountability pods they have, um, help facilitate the back-end data structure, like improve customer experience and that kind of stuff. And so that's one of the ways that... Um, evolving and like moving beyond just flipping houses because flipping houses in reality is probably the worst way to do real estate. It's like, I'm like almost like a recovering house flipper. Like it's a job. It's so much work. It's a job. Um, there's so much risk. You can make a lot of money doing it, but it's, it's really a means to an end. And I don't think my wife and I will ever stop flipping houses because we really do love being able to kind of grab a house. That's just decrepit in a community and turn it into something that people want to live in. Um, but that being said, we're, we're kind of throttling back on total volume of those and being more selective. So the first couple of years of business, we were really intentional and we wanted to see how hard we could push it. Um, kind of like I mentioned earlier, the first four years of your Marine Corps career, you're usually 10,000 RPMs. Then you get to take a knee and kind of get a break. Out in Monterey, California, where Naval Postgrad is, um, people either do golf or they just do school and they don't do anything else. And it's like, you're going to play Pebble Beach or you're doing whatever. But my wife and I, instead of doing that, we spent two years building a business. And so we spent the two years, threw it into 10,000 RPMs, figured out how to hire employees, figured out how to build out systems so that now working inside my normal-ish Marine Corps job as a data scientist, um, I can still work my normal Marine Corps job, but I've got systems and I've got people doing all the I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I don't want to call it busy work because it's still important work, 
but it's work that doesn't necessarily require myself. Um, and so I'm still involved in the business from a big button perspective, from a networking perspective, from like thinking like the big thoughts and kind of doing the, the main direction of the business. Um, and then obviously doing consulting work and that kind of stuff, but evolving beyond flipping, it was like, we wanted to do as many transactions as we could do from a distance, build those systems, give a proof concept, see what it was like to work with other people's money. Because if you've never like, if you've had somebody wire you $250,000 and it hits your account, you're like, Ooh, that's a lot of money. Like that's not, that's not a small amount of money. Like a lot of people take multiple years to make that much. And so the responsibility and the weight that you feel from that, we wanted to experience that firsthand before we branched out into something bigger. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a rambling response, but basically it's like, we really wanted to see what it felt like to do business at a high level, flipping houses, transactional business, get a lot of reps in. And then right now we're, we're in a transition period where we're really picking our heads up from the flipping business solely and um, taking a look around and seeing like, where do we want to now optimize towards maximizing our talents that we've, we've really discovered over the last three years. I mean, I can't think of a more applicable expertise or level of expertise in, in, you know, 2023 and as we move forward than data science. I mean, you know, tell me a little bit about getting in that world. I mean, you said that the Marines or the Marine Corps put you into that, that master's program. Did they select that major? And tell me a little bit about, you know, give us a look behind the curtain in terms of data science and, and how it's evolving and why it's impactful for businesses to invest in. I think in, in many cases, it's probably super obvious to you, but why don't you bring yeah. us back to the basics and, and uh, talk a little bit about how you see that being applied as we move forward? Well, first of all, I would say all models are wrong, but some of them are useful. So that's like a catchphrase for folks. Um, you're going to get like, especially with the advent of chat GPT and making it really accessible to everyone. Um, like you don't need to be a programmer to be able to use chat GPT. Like it has a user interface that you can just interact with. Um, I personally use it every single day in my day job where I'm like, it's a great prototyper for code. But all that to say is there's a ton of people out there that are like doing machine learning air quotes or like using artificial intelligence. But a lot of times you don't need all that stuff. You don't need all that fluff. And so I would encourage people, especially like business owners to really think about like, if you need to use the quote unquote sexy solution of machine learning and AI, because a lot of times you don't need something that robust for what you're trying to do, because these models that people talk about with machine learning and AI, they're trying to predict human behavior a lot of times which is very, very hard to do. No matter what a data scientist tells you, no matter what these like companies say, it's really difficult to predict, to predict what people do. Um, my undergrad work was in uh, quantitative economics. And so I'm like an econ-focused data scientist. And right now I'm working with um, Marine Corps Recruiting Command, which is basically like the sales department for the Marine Corps. And so all we're doing is trying to predict human behavior, right? And it's almost impossible to do that. But what I like to tell people is the farther out you get from a person, the better it does at predicting. And so whenever you're working with data science and whether you're working with somebody who's claiming to be the guy for whatever the new whiz bang chat GPT like advent is, what you need to be able to make sure that person can do is articulate all the assumptions they're making for what they're giving you. And so a good example is I've built algorithms that are able to go drill down into a zip code and I use it in our business. I use it flipping. So drill down to a zip code, figure out like what's the ideal type of house in that zip code based on different factors like demographic, economic and whatnot. But those are not the way to run a comp on a house. I'm not going to take that, hey, zip code 76712 says $350,000 at 1,800 square feet. Perfect. It's like, that gets you in the ballpark. That'll tell you like, this is like a prototypical type house. You still have to then have subject matter expertise at the back end of the, those types of things to run real comps and know what that street is like and know what's the speed limit on that street. Is it a 45 mile an hour road? Like that's going to ruin your, your value, right? And so all that to say is I think there's a lot of buzz about artificial intelligence, machine learning, but 
the real the real thing that I think brings value is eliminating as much noise as you can using modeling and using using these different data aggregation techniques and then really really highlighting those assumptions and then applying a human brain to those assumptions to mitigate that risk and that's where I think there's value for data science there's not there's no like look at what Zillow did they were literally buying a just ridiculous number of like houses based off of algorithms right and they were doing it at scale to where they're trying to influence neighborhood values but are they still buying houses based on algorithms no i don't believe so no <laughs> they are not because you can't really scale it that's why single family homes are hard to do like that so i think the people that are going to win with data science moving on in the future are people that integrate data scientists into their teams and those data scientists are capable of explaining those assumptions to them and basically being able to, hey, here's where the model, I think, this is what it's saying about these different things, but I assumed it based off of this. And so, yeah, just like a word to the wise, I'm sure there's a lot of syndicators that are really tempted to be like, we're using artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's like, well, what are you really predicting better that a normal line fitting a line to a graph is going to do like I don't know. I'm kind of like a tinfoil hat wearing, like I said, like I played college football. I'm a grunt. I'm also a data scientist. I feel like I've got a little bit more of a blue collar mentality about data than probably your typical point Dexter um, nerd. It's a very unique perspective that you have. I mean, there's not really many other people like you. I'll have to say that. Um, but it does feel like artificial intelligence is like it, it gets you to a point where at least for where it stands today in my limited understanding is that it gets you to a version one like chat GPT as an example. It's like and you put in a prompt, you know, for example, if you want to create a communication through chat GPT, it's version one. And when I receive an email that is very clearly still version one uh, of a communication that was created through chat GPT, it's like, all right, guy, you know, I hear you. I appreciate you leveraging this technology, but you know, your assumptions were incorrect in these different ways. And it's very obvious, but you know, you could go down many rabbit holes in terms of that whole concept. So I do appreciate that. But one thing I think that, you know, you're, you're illustrating is that we live in an abundance of information an abundance of data and an abundance of algorithms. But I think what we're missing is we're missing insight. We're missing wisdom. Yep. We're missing some psychology. And so I'd like to know from you, before I transition us into the rapid fire section of the podcast, I mean, how are you applying psychology? How are you leveraging your mindset to integrate within this type of you know, technology, these type of systems, data science, your insight on real estate? How are you applying mindset to continue to grow and evolve? you know, in sort of the, gr the grander scheme of, you know, serving your purpose, like what is it that you're doing to invest in your mindset to be able to optimize how things are evolving? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I've recently read the, read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. And I, I read that recently a, too. That's a really good one. That's a good one. But the main crux of that is like, we're in a knowledge economy now. We're not in a industrial economy. Um, and the real way to get better at being more productive is learn how to do hard things and learn how to do like hard things at scale with speed and make it excellent. Right. And so for me, I find myself like needing to stay healthy. So like working out and doing that kind of a thing, um, disconnecting from technology again, like kind of coming from a, a nerd that like is tied to his computer all the time. Um, my wife and I are pretty intentional about trying to Sabbath and basically take a day off every week of, take my phone, chuck it across the room um, whenever we go on walks. So I live in the heart of New York, uh, um, uh, the District of Columbia, so D.C., and we go on walks just about every day. Um, and whenever we go on a walk, we never bring our phones. And so we're not like texting people. We're just kind of trying to be present. And I think that uh, really carving out time to like disconnect from all the noise is really, really helpful for doing creative work and like thinking creatively about different problems um, because the numbers are going to be there. Like now it's like, I can tell you, this is the NOI. This is whatever you want to, whatever you want to talk about numbers wise is easy to get. It's the nuance of how do you actually operate something? How do you, again, like you said, get into the, the psychology of something. And that doesn't happen if you're just constantly grinding yourself to a nub. And so like sticking to a morning routine, um, I do a lot of journaling. Like I love journaling. Um, and so 
that's something that I found a lot of um, a lot of value in and decompressing. And so I think a lot of it's like pulling back and when you do actually need to need to work, try to do it as distraction free as possible. You know what it reminds me of on, you know, it reminds me of the law of polarity because you're so tied in, you're plugged in, but yet you do find a way to kind of, you know, rev down. You're talking about 10,000 RPMs. It's like you're revving the engine down so that you can optimize the systems and you can live sort of in that yin and the yang of leveraging, but not over leveraging and having an understanding of, all right, well, what's the psychology behind the assumptions that we're making for a particular yep. investment or a particular business strategy? And so this is really, really good stuff. And that's super helpful to know. But, you know, I want to transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. And so much of what we've talked about today has been uncommon. But I've got a few questions for you before I let you go. And it's somewhat along the lines of what you were just sharing with us. So we'll keep uh, keep that engine revving here, but yeah. uh, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Man, I love um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. I think that's a great book. Um, there's some, like the Bible's super influential in my life. Um, that's what I journal on in the mornings. And so if you're looking for, there's a really cool app if you're, if you're a Bible person, it's called Enduring Word. And it does an awesome job where it's a commentary on every single book in the Bible, but it does a lot of like references back to like famous sermons. And so Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you ever heard of him, but really, really famous preacher. But like every quote that guy has is just gold. And I think that's, that's been a really good resource. And then one more, one more book. I've been reading a lot of fiction, which is not also probably super common. Um, really a lot of Stephen King books, which is like, for me, working so much in like, heavy coding and doing a lot of like kind of difficult thought work every day it's been really nice to like decompress and read fiction and so usually when i go to bed every morning every night um i'm reading some sort of fiction for 15 20 minutes what does it do for you does it just downshift your your brain waves i mean does it give you some opportunity to think more creatively outside the box what does reading fiction do for you so I think what it is, is it makes me not think about implementing something new into the business. So like reading all these, reading all these self-help books, you're like, oh man, that's a great idea. I need to text Christine and like, say, like, let's set up a meeting for, for this so we can implement this into our social media strategy or something like that. No, I'm just reading a story, you know, and it's not, I'm not constantly trying to retain information. I'm just kind of flowing through a narrative. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think that's really for me it's a way to decompress and build it into a daily rhythm to where I'm not always trying to improve a business because I think you just reach, reach marginal utilities. It's, it's over after a certain period of time. And if you're in it for the long haul, like if you're, if you're trying to do this for the next 60 years, like we are, like you can't just only be reading business books. So. Totally agree. Totally agree. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes is where the listeners can find those books. In addition to the app that you just shared with us, the Enduring Word app for folks who are interested. And aside from what we've already talked about today, Tyler, what is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Man, I think it's, it's marriage. I love marriage. That's something I probably could talk about for a long, long time. It's just so much fun being married. And it's so much fun being married to somebody that um, shares your values, like you're growing with. Um, and so I'd say that's probably top thing that it's just so awesome to watch, especially like my wife just crush it and what she does. Um, cause it's very different than what I do. Like I'm very analytical, very numbers, very like business operations and she's creative. Like she's like making the space beautiful and thinking about things and taking a lot longer to do certain tasks because she's getting it just right. Whereas I'm like, it's 80% good. Like we're going to iterate on the way, on the way down basically. <laughs> but she's like, she gets it like right every time whenever it goes public with something. So I would say marriage is, is what elevates most of my life. So what's the best or your favorite way to invest in your marriage? And do you have a number one tip that you've learned over the past? What has it been four years now? Almost uh, since you four guys years old, old man married. Yeah. In October <laughs> year four. So plenty of marriage advice. But uh, we always go on walks. I think that's one of the one of my favorite things. And like disconnected walks where we don't necessarily have to like go crazy deep on anything. It's just like spending quality time together where you're not getting pulled on by other people. Um, so I'd say I go on a walk, go on some nice walks. 
Well, being such a purpose-driven individual, this is going to be probably a very easy uh, question for you. But if you had to take it a step further, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you? Man, I just live in community. Um, we're really involved with our church. We we host some small groups inside of our, our building in D.C. And um, I think that's the best way to do it. I just don't think we were meant to go through life alone. And um, surrounding yourself with people and and you need entrepreneurs in your life. If you're an entrepreneur, like you need people that understand, like, this is painful right now. Like we're in a cash flow crunch and I feel like we're drowning. Like you need people that can empathize with that. And then you need people that are like, not thinking you're some crazy greedy person for making 250 grand flipping houses, doing something like that. Cause they understand that there's more than just like a gross profit. Like where's all that money end up going? Um, and so we've got, we've intentionally surrounded ourselves with other like-minded like entrepreneurs that we're able to kind of have community with but then we have people that are not connected with business at all like they couldn't care less about like scaling something or doing whatever it is and those are good people to have in your life too because life isn't all about business right and so yeah well said man Tyler, this has been so much fun, man. I want to acknowledge you for giving, being a giver and paying it forward and continue to challenge yourself so that you can live with purpose and so that you can continue to evolve and so that you can, you know, make one tiny little difference that, you know, creates a ripple effect, you know, for, in, in my opinion, eternity. So I just want to, I want to thank you. I want to show my appreciation to you. And this has been such a fun conversation, Tyler. Do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? No, no. I think, uh, thank you for the opportunity, Tyler and strong name and man, I hope we do this again sometime. It was fun. Absolutely. Well, tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about what you do. LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn back at it. So, um, we took like a hiatus from social media stuff where kind of at the beginning of our business, I really hit hard LinkedIn to like figure out what the world of possible was, but in this transition, we're I'm getting back on LinkedIn and starting to post a lot more intentionally there. So we'd love to interact with you guys on LinkedIn. Just Tyler Goble. Sounds like you definitely read deep work. If you, uh, you took a little step back there for a little bit. Uh, but no, that's yeah. good to hear. We'll put a link in the show notes is where the listeners can find you on LinkedIn. Tyler gobble, everybody. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast. We'll see you next time. Elevate nation, Tyler gobble, inspiring us today. My goodness. I am ready to, go live with purpose. I'm ready to challenge my beliefs. I am ready to go bigger, to make a bigger difference and not just be selfish. And I can tell you that there's just such more of a reservoir of energy when you're doing something for a higher purpose and you're making a difference for someone else. You're living outside of your own challenges. You know, when, when you focus on your own problems, they grow. When you focus on adding value to others, your problems tend to dissipate. And I, would have to imagine one of the reasons why Tyler has been so successful and is on a path of tremendous success is because he's been willing to live selflessly and to really go after um, making a difference for other people who otherwise would not have the opportunity to help themselves. Uh, we've got some atrocities going on across the world. And, and, you know, I just want to honor Tyler again for doing what he does to make you know, one tiny little difference and, you know, also setting big goals, big dreams to make an even bigger difference. So I want to challenge you to think about, well, what is it that you're looking to make a difference within yourself? What is your purpose? And maybe it's a uh, course correction. Maybe it's going back to say, well, what, what really does resonate with me? What is important to me? And what am I passionate about making a difference for? What do I want my legacy to be? What do I want people to appreciate about me perhaps? when I'm no longer here. And, you know, ultimately what we do and our choices, they have a ripple effect in eternity. So I want to encourage you to think about how can you make it count? How can you make your efforts and your evolution and your investments in yourself and in your business and in real estate, how can you make it count and be bigger than just creating wealth for yourself? And, I, I think that that is a big calling card for all of us. So I want to challenge you to do so. I want to also invite you to identify your top one, two or three distinctions from this episode, discuss those with a friend and have a dialogue about how you're going to take action on what you learned today. Because most importantly, as you know, the most important piece of this today of you investing in yourself is now the opportunity to take action. So make a commitment of taking massive action on what you learned today. 
Elevate Nation. Until next time, I just want to thank you so much for showing up, investing in yourself. I hope you have a great day and I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.